0: When I started to go back to your question a really long time ago I was looking more for a guru I was looking for somebody who who knew something mysterious that I wanted and 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 I it didn't take very very long in the martial arts to find out that that wasn't really what was in there
1: hi this is the social jello with Angelo show my name Angelo I'm a social scientist surfer martial artist and a whole lot of other things Coming to you live from Kasai City, Japan, the Social Jello with Angelo show. What's up? Hey, new logo. Pretty cool, huh? Either way, thank you for checking out the Social Jello with Angelo podcast, SGWA podcast. As I mentioned earlier in the intro, my name's Angelo. I have a background in psychology and I'm also a martial artist. Today, as part of the Kaju Kembo series, I interview Grandmaster Barbara Bones. Pretty sure I said that right. I say it one more time during the podcast. She has awesome stories. She's been doing martial arts for a very long time, and she shares her her philosophies, her history, transitioning from from Taekwondo into Kajukembo, how that worked. It's an awesome story. I really hope you stick around to hear the whole thing. I had a great time talking to her, and I hope you have a great time listening. All right, let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome to SUWA Podcast as I introduced earlier, uh, before we started. I'm here with, okay, I'm really bad with names. I'm gonna shoot here because it looks like an easy one. Barbara Bones? That's correct. All right, cool, cool. Yes, Um, thank you, aloha. Aloha. Another thing I'm really bad at is remembering titles and ranks I do know your Kaju Kembo because we've come from the same family. So I could, I know that, <laughs> but would you mind sharing uh, with my listeners, um, your, your title and, and rank and all that stuff? Um,
0: uh, my sifu before he passed away, um, uh, this past year, uh, promoted me to Grandmaster or Knife Thon. Oh, and, uh, that's after, let's see, over 50 years of practice and, you know, many steps along the way, but, uh, I think he knew that there there were uh, four of us that had been with him for a really long time, and we're still with him. We actually all came up through the ranks together, and we all got promoted officially by uh, great grandmaster Juarez, but um, um, through you know, great grandmaster Juarez promoted us at one of his events. But prior to that, Sifu had promoted me, as I call him Sifu. He was a grandmaster also, but.
1: Yeah, I know, I know how that is, right? If you've been doing this long enough, the people you trade with now have different ranks and titles and you always yes. want to catch, call them what, you know, what you've always called them with known the mass.
0: <laughs> so I saw, I saw your um, podcast with uh, Rana Stella and, and um, uh, at one point he said something like there are so many grandmasters at this point and uh, and I was thinking about that and I, I was actually shocked at the number of grandmasters there are. And I thought like, what is going on? But now that I think of it, when we, were, when we began training, Bruce Lee was alive, uh, uh, Kung Fu was on television. A lot, uh, we all, you know, there was, a, there was kind of a boom in the population for interest in the martial arts. And so um, I think a lot of those people just stayed. You know, I don't think it'll stay that way. Where people stay, decades and decades, um, maybe I don't know, but I think those numbers will probably not be as robust later on in this century. But um, yes, it's a it's a good it's a good life to have. Our family of martial artists it's uh, important to everybody. I think. Yeah, and it's
1: just an awesome community. I mean. I like, I, I like, I said, I've met a lot of different martial artists from different styles. And something that I've always loved about Kaju Kembo is the fact that how, how I met John Hoylo, you're the your last person who interviewed you. And if you, for the listeners that are listening, definitely check out uh, John Hoylo's deep dive through the KAA. Um, I'll have a link somewhere around here. A little later, I'll edit a link probably up here somewhere. But um, I just love the fact that you can, you've, we've never met, never met John. And the first time I met him in person, he invited me to his wedding. (laughs) So that's just the kind of like that Ohana spirit that they always talk about, that Aloha spirit is always there. Um, But Going back into your story here. What? So how did this all start? You said you've been doing martial arts for a long time. What got you into martial arts? What made you want to start punching and kicking people? Like, how did that happen? (laughs)
0: I don't know, maybe I was well suited for it because when I was in university, um, I used to hang out with this one fellow who was training in, I think, taekwondo. And he was like, I know you love it. You should come to class. And, and the thing is, this fella, this fella, you know, I walked down the street with him. This is in Chicago. I'd walk down the street with him, and, you know, various shrubs and, and light posts and things would have techniques flying at them as we walked down the street. And, and when he told me that he thought I would like it, I thought it was like really wrong. Just that seemed impossible that I would ever enjoy that. But um, it turns out he was right. He was right, I did enjoy it. But uh, when I finally came to that, I think what happened is um, a longtime friend of mine uh, joined a class in Kajkembo. and I, I liked the movement. I, I, I played sports growing up and I, I liked the movement. And so I thought, um, I would like to learn that, and then rather than go with a Kodokan instructor, I went with a Taekwondo instructor. So, um, and uh, I had a very good relationship with, with my teacher. It was it was all good. He had he had great technique. It was all good. But uh, I think if you watch the other uh, post, what happened was. Uh, because my friend trained with in Kembo I would go and watch through the windows, and and uh, and I began memorizing the the material. I would memorize forms and uh, punching attacks and grab arts and things like that uh, through the windows, and then I would run down the hall and practice, and come back and get some more. And uh, I realized that that I had more passion for the movement that was Kajukenbo than than Taekwondo, and, and essentially it's stylistic as my teacher taught it. But, um, uh, you know, Taekwondo is very um, uh, ballistic, I'll say. It's hard against hard. Be harder, be stronger, and you will win. And uh had an element that was more suited to my size. Um, I don't have a long reach. It had more uh, more s- slipping of blocks, more getting inside and taking away the leverage of, of longer, stronger people. And, and uh, because of that, I was more drawn to it. And also uh, just sort of the beauty of the movement, of the dance, you might say, the, 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 the grace. And I, w- I wanna say hidden power. Um, you know, you don't really realize how powerful a wave is until it hits you. It looks mellow. It just is rolling across the sea. And then it hits you and it flattens you and forces you down. (laughs) And that's uh, that's kind of the way I felt about uh, the way my teacher taught. He was a very fluid mover. He was very deceptive and and very powerful. And that was the attraction, I I guess. Uh, And of course, we all uh, in those days, we all competed. He was a student at the University of Oregon. And um, so uh, he he led the martial arts club. And the University of Oregon would, would uh, provide entrance fees to tournaments all over the place and travel money and stuff like that. And so we, even though I wasn't a student at the University of Oregon, I was done with my college. I would, I would, I would still somehow get to participate in that. And so uh, I liked the sport because I had done sports. I like uh, uh, meeting different people of different styles. And uh, so yeah, it was just a big growth period. And we were all very, very the, the group that that still that we all got promoted together. This last promotion, um, we were there, you know, seven days a week. We were we were there all the time, and that might be. I know Ron said something similar, although his path was similar and he was younger. I, it seemed like, yeah, that's what you have to do. You have to build that foundation out of just hard work. Um, since moving to Hawaii, I've started playing hawaiian steel guitar and there's a famous um hawaiian steel player who has passed on his name's jerry bird and he said the same thing there 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 are no shortcuts you know and if you're he's like people aren't born with talent they're born with the discipline to practice and and so that's what it was and that and i loved the practice It, it it honestly didn't feel like it required any discipline you know what i mean it was just fun it was uh challenging it was um always room for improvement no matter no matter where you are along the path there's always room for improvement so it keeps your mind awake it keeps your self-awareness high um, so that love for it is still there although you know i'm in an older body and i'm like 72 years old and and uh, my joints and strength are not what they were when i was 22 so you know it's uh it's an adjustment, actually. It's hard to give that up, but eventually we have to. I I think at least I have to.
1: Well, I, we all have to. I, mean, like, <laughs> I, I, come, I come from a background of <clears throat> I almost became a professional fighter, and it wasn't something I intended to do. But um, yeah, there's all like you said. There's always different stages of that journey, and um, there's always a point where something you can do. I mean, am I'm, I'm not you know i'm much younger but still even i'm 39 and there's definitely things that i'm, I'm not going to do as i approach 40 <laughs> there's definitely things i'm dropping from that list and uh professional fighting is one of them but uh, so my question i want to go back real quick you mentioned how old were you because you said university how old were you when you started practicing martial arts uh I was probably
0: 21
1: 21 and when you made that you said you played sports too what sports were you playing
0: uh, whatever I could play you know growing up my dad coached our softball team I was a pitcher in softball um I played basketball I was too small to play basketball in today's world but then you know we played for fun more and so uh I played basketball I played tennis I played whatever anybody would let me play pretty much um and that was kind of all through my secondary school years and then in college i really didn't in college i was busy with life i guess
1: there we go sorry i muted myself there oh. <laughs> do you <laughs> feel that, do you feel that um that sports background that kind of athletic background do you feel that helped you at all and when, when you transitioned to martial arts
0: um yeah, I think, you know, if you're in your body, like some people, students come and they're not in their body. I'll tell you a short story about that. So uh, when my Sifu moved to Colorado to practice with Al Dacascos, um we all followed him. We all went too. We're like, okay, we're living in Colorado then, you know? And um, so the DeCascos program had a program where you, Basically, sell five private lessons and a couple of group classes to uh, stir people's interest, so they will make a longer-term contractual agreement with the school. And so, uh, this one uh, woman came in, and she was absolutely not the kind of person you thought would train the martial arts. Uh, She she couldn't maintain eye contact with you. She constantly looked down. Her voice was very meek. Her posture was out of alignment. Her her body was not strong, you know, in appearance, and um, I drew the short straw one day, and I had to teach her one of the privates, and I was like, "Okay, what do I even do here?" You know, and our private our private um, rooms are that we, you know, had a had a mirror, but it also had a curtain that you could draw to to cover the mirror. So I closed the curtain, and I'm like, "I am going to, I'm going to put your body in a position." And your only job is to not move. Like when I when I got you there, just don't move. Just stay in it. And and I went through, you know, from the ground up, working on the stance, and getting that posture correct, getting her spinal alignment correct, getting her shoulders relaxed, getting her head in a certain posture that looked forward rather than away. And um, it took the full half hour actually, but in the end, in the end, I had, I had it. You know, I had sculpted her into a new awareness and I'm like do not move and I pulled the curtain back and she saw it she saw herself in that moment as powerful she saw she saw she w- could be formidable she saw herself completely differently and I'll tell you she never went back like that lesson that self-awareness or that awareness of even potential stuck with her and she interacted in the group classes in a completely different way I mean it was it was profound. It wasn't my, you know, my really amazing uh, forethought that I could create that. It, I was. It was more my curiosity. Could it be done? You know, could I could I find that in her? And, uh, and I think that's the one of the things about the art that I love is is the transformation of of all of us. We come with an idea of who we are. And along with that idea with the ways in which we're limited, either, either we're afraid, we're not strong, we're whatever it is, whatever story people tell themselves, they, they do build a, a box of limitations around themselves about their ability. And because the martial arts is such a, a long path, you know, along the way, those barriers naturally begin to tumble, or sometimes you know you have to you have to break your way through them. But uh, being present when people people transform is like the reason I state. You know, yes, my own personal transformation, but that was sort of assumed. But but providing an environment in which people could could shock themselves. And leave their leave their limitations behind and move forward. And that's why you know people come in and they can't afford lessons because they can't keep a job and blah blah blah. And you know uh, after two or three years in the art and you've made accommodation for them, you've found a job for them in the school that they can do to you know trade off blah blah blah. And and ultimately they get a job and they keep the job and they start teaching others. You know they start pulling other people along with them excuse me i need water and so i, I think um <clears throat> to me that's what we offer getting a lozenge
1: oh yeah yeah no no worries. i have my water i have my bottle right here that i i'm always going through <laughs> these 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 talks you know we, we get going and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah no that transformation is amazing right like you see that a lot and i think I, you know, I'm not going to try to brag and say it's unique to Kaju Kembo, but I will say that when I look at Kaju Kembo and I look at, uh, for example, sports, sports MMA, for example. Right. And I've trained in both. Um, I've always felt that Kaju Kembo has this place where our perspective, our drive to train our students is to, truly protect themselves, A, which is the same drive as the MMA people. They really want to teach them how to protect themselves in a very dangerous situation. But a little beyond that, we actually really care about how their lives are going. And a lot of times we will put our students before our own financial needs. And I'm not going to generalize broad stroke and say we all do this, but I've found this a lot. I found this in my instructor. Um, he, He was constantly either doing scholarship programs we lived in a rough neighborhood with gangs. So if we saw someone who was at risk to be in a gang and we noticed that their parents are working four jobs each and the kids got all this free time, you know, we kind of take them in. And even if they couldn't afford the lessons, we'd say stuff, you can't afford a contract, just pay us, you know, pay us five dollars for the day. And if you can't afford that, go we'll sweep the floor. Like I've heard a lot of these stories amongst and chemo practitioners. And I'm not gonna say it doesn't happen in MMA, I'm sure it does, but this is what really attracts me to the to the art. Mm-hmm. So looking at what you were talking about earlier, I kind of want to go back to that transition between Taekwondo and Kaju Kembo. You already mentioned <laughs> some of the points earlier with the movements, but um, and I, I know Taekwondo was different back then, but Taekwondo sparring compared to Kaju Kembo sparring, what were some of the things that, that came up or that you noticed at that time?
0: Well, um- Technically, I mean, taekwondo likes um, long range. They like to stay out of range. Their, their defense isn't really that great if you're inside their range. I'm like disparaging a whole system that's worldwide, but. That's but okay. Is,
1: uh, that's okay. We're, we're not throwing them under the bus. We're just saying, like,
0: no. you know, for what, what, um, what you
1: noticed, you know, you, you just, and again, mm-hmm. for any taekwondo listeners, we're just talking about observations that between the rules of analysis. We really got to make sure we mention that Taekwondo has a certain set of rules that are set, especially now for sport fighting. They've always been kind of set that way. And mm-hmm. Khaju kembo has got a different set of rules. So like going off of that, go ahead. No, don't, yeah, don't, I
0: think the Don't hold, don't from, hold back. The attraction was inside fighting because um, honestly, what, if you're smaller and your reach is less, the safest place sometimes is right next to people and um and i I can remember um uh, situations where people would question the the intelligence of going inside against really big people like because they don't know how to bridge the gap maybe but once you figure that out and you can get in it's a very safe place because like all of their leverage is is and, and, and they have to adapt it to something short range, which they might not be comfortable doing. Whereas, you know, a fully extended front thrust kick, they're, they're you know, don't get in front of that. I wouldn't want any part of that. So um, that was the main attraction is the um, effectiveness of, of, of the angles that Kaj Kembo takes, of the range that kajkembo takes. Um, of the diversity of the, of our attack in Kajkembo um, were, um, were t- many times attacking tiny targets that maybe don't need, you know, um, uh, as much force to do damage or to, um, gain advantage at least. And so all of those things, uh, suited my temperament very well. I mean, even if you, even if you look at how I played basketball, I, I, I didn't, I I was never a great offensive player. Well, I was too small to be a great offensive player, actually. But I could play defense. I could steal the ball. I could, I could thread passes into people in tight places. I could, I could make myself useful with other things. And Kajakambo sort of fit into that. And in fact, you know, the sparring is so much fun. And a lot of that, a lot of that fun is, is, Uh, being able to read the other person, uh, being able to manipulate the other person psychologically, you know, have them, you know, come into your little traps, you know, um, have them believe things about uh, your faints and fakes that, that, of course, you know, are, are just tactics, but all of that, all of that I found to be incredibly fun. When I was in Taekwondo, we didn't practice that way. You know, I don't. I only know that school that I was in, actually. But we we practiced more force. We, you know, if a if a full power um, kick came in, you know, we used as much force as we could to deflect it, instead of in Congo basically not being there. You know, just being absent from the place where they're kicking. I mean, it, it, there was just um, philosophically different and uh, more more what, more the way I thought. Um, And I want to say something else about the transformation thing, actually, or else I'll forget. So my my kajikevo practice was in tandem with other practices in my life. Not all of them martial arts. I, I, um, in the early 70s, I I met a um, enlightened master of yoga and meditation. And and I carry that practice with me to this day. Um, I met uh, Grandmaster Remy Prasis. He was always called professor when, when I was working out with him, but Professor Prasis. And he was just a delight. I learned a million things from him. So martial arts, very, very much a cousin of Kajakanbo in a way, but so many things about it are really, really similar. I practiced Tai Chi and that was very different, but when you roll it all up in one one person, all of the lessons cross and they enhance one another. They almost never contradict one another. And so so all of that is enhancement. And and going with that, I'll also say I had a career that was completely different from any of these things. And, And so that has different kinds of challenges about how to bring a team along to embrace the same direction that you're going. To to um, receive criticism in a positive way and and adjust um, to to, um, to, chal- to to take on challenging problems without fear to, to to accept failure when there is failure all of those things all of those messages cross and and so for me the door into all of them was kembo I mean, it was, um, and is kind of like, you know, my first family in a way.
1: And this actually really transitions to the next question that I wrote down here. What were you studying in college at the time? Cause you said you went to the university we never really touched on that. What, what were you studying yeah. back then?
0: Um, I majored in psychology, <laughs> but, um, but where I, where I um, went to college, the University of Chicago um, undergraduate work was sort of immaterial that mostly it was preparation for graduate work, which I never did, but, um, the U- university of Chicago, isn't like a lot of universities in the sense that you study all original source study, you know, like if it's in science, the sciences, you go back to all the original sources. You don't, I never had a textbook in four years. Um, I only ha- had, um, You know, if even my freshman year, like I was taking um, what was called astronomical and geophysical science, and we would go into the labs of the various professors who were doing research, and we'd stay there for three weeks and then go to another one and stay there for three weeks. And, you know, it was very diverse, but the main thing the University of Chicago taught was um, how to analyze what's in front of you for, for the truth actually <laughs>
1: so it was very re- it was very research based in you know
0: well in the sciences I mean yeah. um um you know it had a it has an amazing history in the sciences so um they are very strong like Enrico Fermi did his research there so you know there, there was a lot of a lot of uh, Nobel Prize Nobel laureates on their on their faculty but uh you know in I didn't gravitate as much towards the, towards the uh, literature or art or things like that. It was there. That was the same approach, though. Um, so it, it taught you basically how to think, how to solve a problem, how to, how to weed out things that are extraneous to the problem and, and take only the things that are the most salient to the problem. Um, it was a very good university. It probably still is. I don't know.
1: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Sounds like a great. It's
0: it a good experience. I mean, I grew up in a small town, rural Oregon, so even just living in Chicago for four years was was like a major change. <laughs>
1: <laughs> how, how was that, right? Because I mean, if you sit and go in Chicago, Chicago, that I could go, I, I can do a whole podcast just on. On the social, the social analysis of crime and, and, and all kinds of stuff in Chicago, right?
0: How was yeah, that Chicago, Chicago, and I was there 66 to 70. So if you think about it, the 1968 Democratic Convention and, you know, the Chicago 7 and all, that, all the political, all the anti-war stuff, all the civil rights movement was going on in, you know, in great numbers of people in the streets and stuff. So it was a, a very volatile time.
1: When I, I always forget when when were the race riots in Chicago? Yeah, when was uh,
0: after Martin Luther King was killed? There okay. were riots in Chicago.
1: Nineteen.
0: That was uh, that must have been like sixty-seven, maybe ish.
1: So you were there.
0: Yeah. Oh man. So, <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> oh man. So, so okay. You know, coming from a small time, you know, small town girl from Oregon. <laughs> You go into Chicago. Yeah. Now you're in this environment. How how was that?
0: It was uh, it was all good. I mean, it's just, it's growing. You know, it was all good. I mean, the university itself was uh, more chill than what was going out beyond the realm of the university. The university had some cool things in it. It had um, there's a place called the um, I think it's called the Oriental Museum, and it has all these um, relics from uh, Egypt. You know, it has like um, things that they probably stole out of the pyramids. I don't know where they got all that stuff, but um, it was it was cool. You know, on your way to on your way to statistics class, you could pop in and, you know, look at some of the mummies and stuff. But it was it was all good. Everything about it was good. It wasn't I mean, it had a lot of challenge because I can tell you in a small rural school growing up, you're never intellectually challenged as much as when you get to a university like that um, a massive amount of reading all the time.
1: And so when you finished up your, you were stu- you majored in psychology, um, who- whoop, psychology, you know, I, I also majored in psychology, so, you know, I gotta, gotta <laughs> give my props for that. Um, but so you finished that, what career did you end up in? Like after you finished school, where did you end up going from there?
0: Uh, I came back to Oregon and, uh, and I thought I'd take some more classes, so I, so that's why I was at the University of Oregon, where Sifu was. So things just sort of came together. And actually, when I met my my meditation master, um, was when I was in Denver, and I was there because of the martial arts. But uh, a Muktananda came there, and so I met him there. So you know, it's that you know how life goes. Sometimes you feel like someone's leading you through through all of those connections. I don't know. It's mysterious or or maybe just um, you know you you gravitate to the areas that are going to take care of what you need to learn.
1: And how did you balance that? Like so, for example, I'm a martial artist and I also teach martial arts, and that's always been a part of my life. Well, not always, but for a long, long time, I'll say, since I was 12. Um, formal martial arts started when I was 18, 19. It was always there, but the career path for me, I've had lots of different careers in the time, and I've always found myself balancing uh, my career with my martial arts ambitions. And also the like right now, I, I live, now I live in Japan and I'm an ESL teacher. I teach English as a second language. I run my own mm-hmm. business doing that. How did you how did you find how did you make that balance between what you want to do with martial arts, what you want to do with your life? And then, what you want to do with your career? How did how did you kind of balance all that out for yourself?
0: I think uh, early on, when I wanted to train seven days a week, I lived on very little and uh, found a way to practice all the time. Um, by the time I came back from Colorado, um, uh, I opened a school, and and uh, and process of opening the school and having it be commercial I didn't love actually um and so uh I'm, I want to make money a different way I want the school to be there for people I want to teach in the school I want to see the growth and changing people but I I don't I don't want to complicate that relationship with money and so um you know I I do accept money for teaching seminars and things like that but that isn't my that has never been my my financial way of life so i i i started um even when i even when i first came back from colorado after i opened the school i i joined a a collective of that sold natural foods and i i learned all kinds of things about business i you know i learned all the accounting i learned uh the process of staying in inventory how you buy how you keep things ahead of the game um how you don't get overstocked in some things i learned about trucks uh and i learned about um loading pallets into trucks or other ways of loading trucks I, I learned you know what i mean i learned a whole lot about operational things and most of my career since then has had something to do with operations management i it was not always like that i mean i did retail operations management where i managed like uh 25 different stores not personally i but i had store managers in those places but uh, and I did administrative management where it was like HR and finance and IT and things like that. I did um, nonprofits. I did for-profits. I did, um, I managed, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of this brand, Seven for All Mankind Jeans. I managed their distribution centers. Um, and and um, yeah, I worked in the pet industry managing operations, those stores were in the pet industry. So, you know, all of it, all of it are actually the same skills. It's just, they don't know. They, the people who are in the clothing industry think operations is completely different than the people in the pet food industry, but they're not. So that was fortunate for me because it gave me a lot of ability to have a comfortable living and, and not be stretching beyond my means.
1: So when you were, when you were sitting in there with these in these board meetings with these with these distribution head honchos, did any of them know that you were kicking ass on the side, or was that something you just kind of didn't talk about?
0: <laughs> not usually.
1: No. So they so they didn't know. They never found out. That was like a separate life.
0: Not not usually. It was usually pretty separate. Although, you know, in some phases, um, certain students needed jobs. And so, you know, I could help them find something in the organization that I was in. So that, that would, they would know, but.
1: But that was about it. So like yeah. when you were in that kind of environment, how do you feel martial arts changed your perspective on how you view people? Like how you view people that don't do martial arts because there's a big difference <laughs> how, did that, how, how did that influence you if you, don't mind um,
0: you know um, I'm not sure. I would say that those of us who teach have to be able to read what's in front of us and and we have and we have and we offer the information at a pace that it can be absorbed. Um, And, uh, and in that that applies in in terms of leading teams, for sure. Um, The other thing though, is in the martial arts is you can kind of read BS when you're facing it. And and so you see that in, in that environment, you can't really call it out in the same way you can when you're teaching the class. So you have to find a private meeting or some other way of, of getting that message across. But I think um, I, I, this will, you will relate to this and probably all of the teachers who are watching will relate to it, is that the, sometimes what you're saying is really simple and it's completely not heard on the other side of the communication. It's um, something like, you know, keep your elbow in until you rotate the punch, you know, so you can align all the way through the punch from start to finish as you have a a technique. And you can, I, I, I know several students who I said that in a million different ways over and over and over and over again for years. And then one, I remember there was one student I had and, and one day I came and made the correction for like the gazillionth time and and she said to me, oh, why didn't you ever tell me that? And I just started laughing because, yeah, I had said it so many ways. But, um, you know, I think the in business, you don't—you can't have that kind of patience. Sometimes you can't accept that—that that learning curve to last over over years. So that's uh, one of the challenging things about career. Um, but um, I like I like the martial arts, having the time having the time to let that happen, um, rather than you know just holding them back. I, I in my practice of music. Um, I had a, a teacher one time at the very beginning when I first started to play music, and and uh, he told me um, I'm like I'm, I want to learn this other song. I kept bringing him a different song uh, to, to my privates, and he would he would take them and he would take them away, and he would never they would never show up again. And I'm like, how come he never let me play those songs? And he said, well, you know what how it is? You're a martial arts teacher, you know. Until somebody gets something, you know, you can't move to the next thing. And I'm like, well, that's not the kind of teacher I am at all. You know, if if someone walks in and we're working on an advanced form and it's their second class, they work on it with us. And what to do? You know, That there's no waiting. <laughs> there's no waiting till they have mastered everything before you teach them the next thing. So, but that's probably a difference actually in Taekwondo and maybe Kaj generally is that uh, it was more orderly. And then the other thing I'll say is like, taekwondo, shotokan, others that are more uh, rigid in their programs, you know, it, it, you can meet, you can meet someone in Japan who's practicing shotokan, and then you can go to Chicago and go to a shotokan class, and you'll know, you'll be fine. You'll know everything they're doing in there, and they're doing it the same way, and there's not, and kajukenbo, and that's just not the case, but, you know, it's, the forms are all slightly different. The tricks are all slightly different. Um, and that's the fun of it for me, but I'll say they all have integrity. That's the thing, the integrity of the technique without the rigidity of, of the, the program around people. So um, yeah, I think that's an important part of what we teach is to have that flexibility and just from person to person, you know, of, of the, those of us who stayed with Sifu all the way through, Till now, none of us move the same way as the other. That, you know, just if you even saw us do the same form, even the, st- exact, same, uh, the exact same dance, we would all be doing it differently. And I, I had two kids in my class, one of whom is, is one of the professors under me now. He stayed with it, his sister didn't. But um, to see them side by side, there, beca- there came a point when they were like in their teens, where he got strong. And she kind of kept with what she was doing. She ultimately became a dancer. Right? But he had he had gotten strong. And so his, his movement was more ballistic. It was more explosive. It was more that. And, and she she had the soft movement perfected and the grace between the moves, between between the endpoints of the moves, her grace was profound. And you could see them do it side by side, and it was lovely. To see like both people, it was like a full expanse of the form to see them do it together. And so um, I think that's part of the beauty of our art is there is permission to, there's almost the demand that you know yourself well enough to do it as you, you know, what, what I think, what I always think as a teacher is my job is for, to help a person Become the greatest version of themselves that they can possibly be, and that.
1: All right, uh, we had a small little network issue there, but um, we're back. And you were talking about that 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 expression, that expression that we have in Kajukembo, in our instructors, in the way we teach, and the way students learn. Can you expand a little more on that?
0: Um. Yeah, I can, I can give you another example, I think. So my instructor, as I said, was very fluid and deceptive. And, uh, and the power was more masked, it was kind of hidden until it hit you. And um, the, many of the people that are in the Gaylord side are kind of more hard Kempo style, like old style Kenpo. And originally Kajikimba was that. So it's not a surprise that it is that. So when I would bring my students to um, uh, great Grandmaster Gaylord's classes, uh, you know, part of the room would be doing things that are more in the vein of that hard style. And me and all my students would be more in the vein of uh, a, a softer expression of the same forms, of the same tricks and so on. And um, what I found was Gaylord would would go to the go to the people who are doing it hard and he would correct them on how to do it more effectively in the hard style and he would come to us and he would correct us on how to more effectively use the softer style. You know that whole expression was there for him and and not for all of us actually. And uh, from that I took that that we should never we should never Um, kind of give away any of it. That is, we should teach the whole art that hard way and the softer expression. And some of the people in the room are going to gravitate towards one side or the other side or a balance. But as much as possible as students, we should try to embrace all of it. And then when we have students, we have something to offer them based on their temperament or their kind of their natural inclination or their body or their limitations, whatever it is. And, and I felt like um, Gregor Master Gaylord offered that to all of us. He 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 didn't really make us wrong. He just gave us a way to be more right in whatever expression we have. And, um, you know, as much as possible, I adopted that. And I'll say also like one of my other teachers in Arnis, uh, uh, Professor Praises, he, he was like a genius teacher. Did you ever work with him?
1: I didn't get a chance to work with him, no.
0: Yeah. Um, you know of him, though, yeah?
1: Yeah, yeah. I've, yeah. yeah I've
0: so he, people would come to his seminars who had no experience in the martial arts or anything else, and they were incredibly um, uh, limited in their coordination and their ability to grasp what he was talking about. And... He would go. He would call. He would call one of those people up in front of class who was doing the technique in a kind of way that I couldn't recognize as being good, and and he would say, "Oh my God, you've got it!" It would stop the class, and he would put them in front of the class and he'd have them show it, and then he would praise them profusely. And I was. Worried, I I often worked with another martial arts friend of mine when we would go to the seminars, and we would look at each other like. They have it because that is isn't what I thought, you know, and he would come to us and he would help us with where we were at, you know, we're just in a different place. And he, what I noticed was a lot of those people, when he came back six months later, would come back to class again and they would be much better. They they believed in themselves. I mean, he gave them that no matter what their technique was. He always gave them praise so that they would believe in themselves. And um, it was profound because at that stage of my, my teaching, I was very much into refining to the nth degree details that would make it better. And, and not always saying how spectacular it already was. I would, I, I would assume they knew that it was already spectacular. And that was really, really a, a, a failing of mine. And after I worked with them, I realized, oh, just praise, praise improvement, no matter how minuscule that improvement is. Praise it, praise it, praise it, because it will reinforce it and they, and it will get better. And, and uh, so, you know, and that person that punched in a crazy way for years, um, had I found something, had I found something right about it and focused on that early on, you know, it probably would have come around a lot sooner. And so I think the, the, that, that, that's the beauty in having the role of teaching, you know, most of my, most of my teaching has been, uh, about self-awareness, you know, I, I said it in the other, uh, post that I did, that, that we, um, I mean, that's the biggest milestone, that's the biggest thing you can give someone, self-awareness, I think, and the, then the self will take care of everything else. <laughs> if they're, you know what I mean? Like the self becomes the teacher. Let's hope. If the self-awareness is there. So yeah, we hope for that. We do.
1: Yeah. And I mean and it's funny, like everybody goes to that, everybody has that, that point in their teaching where where they realize where that first of all it's never perfect and we're always trying to aim for that, but then we're teaching others and we forget that we've almost forget where we were when we started. And I yeah. and then and also people start at different points, right? I started at a very different point um, because of my kinesia, kinesia, I, don't know, I totally bumbled that. Um, <laughs> Uh, kinesthetic <laughs> intelligence, right? Yeah. Um, I've yeah. always been lucky enough that when someone showed me something, they didn't, I didn't need a long explanation. I just needed to see it done once correctly. Right. And then I could do a pretty close version of it. But as you know, not everyone learns the same. So like, I, I, um, I'd always be watching like when my instructor started having me li- guide line basics I'd be sitting there watching the white belts, throwing the reverse punch as a straight punch and correcting the punch because they're throwing the wrong punch and you just correcting their legs and the bow stance isn't low enough. And my instructor would sit there laughing at me. He's like, just let it go. Just show them, once. Show them yeah. once. But if, you, yeah. if you, you're going to hold the whole class back with a white belt, all, all the rest of the, everyone else wants to get through line basics, <laughs> you know? show them once and then move on. So like yeah. later fast forward, 15 years later, I'm I'm coaching an MMA class, and one of my students is going over the intricacies of a triangle choke, and he's like, he's not, he's not, he doesn't have his leg right. I, I'm watching, I'm like, I'm watching the same. I'm like, this is like watching me. <laughs> it's, it's it's Anthony, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. His legs, as long as his legs are in the correct position <laughs> and he's somewhat got the head and he's kind of choking you, it's okay if you can't complete the choke right now maybe that's not the goal (laughs) maybe the goal is just to have him understand where his legs are gonna be for today (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, it's really amazing to see that (laughs) I
0: think that I think though that um we we we're very fortunate to have 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 this in our experience I had a student one time who was a child I used to give all the child students to somebody else to teach us I'm not that good at teaching them, to be honest, but she um, she was dyslexic. And so, so you would say, step forward with your right foot and you had a 50/50 chance, right? <laughs> Same thing, you know, punch with the right hand. forward back, left, right, up and down. You know they, It was like whatever her mind was doing with that information. On the other hand, she was really smart but, but um, that didn't translate into any kind of control of the body. And finally, I, I invited her to test, knowing full well what I was gonna see. Uh, it wasn't that far in, maybe like six months in. And the thing is, is she was really bright. And so she came to the test, her parents were watching and I had her go through her requirements and she did them all, she stepped with the right foot she punched with the right hand she did the kicks on the correct side she did it all perfectly and in every test i try to not only show that perfection or that accomplishment but also show the next step like what what do you have to do next now that you can do that so provide an obstacle for them to to work on and and so i said can you can you do it mirror image? So everything you know, sometimes we do that with our forms. We do mirror image forms just to work the other side because uh, you know, our founders were dominant right-handers. Um, it was interesting to train with Al actually because he's left-handed. And so a lot of his things were dominant left-handed. That was uh, a good a good stretch. But um, so I, I asked her to do it on the opposite side, but at this time she's maybe like 10 years old. And then I just saw her kind of like go on go inside. And then she did it. She did the image of everything. Also correct. And I, I turned around and I looked at her parents, her mother was just sobbing. Her dad took class with her and he was like stunned that it was even possible. And it's another one of those transformations that never turns back because the next time they went to the parent the student um, the parent teacher conference, they're like, "I don't know what you're doing with her, but whatever you're doing, you should keep doing it because she's making amazing strides uh, in, in not having the dyslexia anymore." It wasn't it wasn't me who did it; it was all her who did it. But I think like the the grace of what we do when we teach is that we're present; we're witness to to those things in the moments that they happen and it's it's just so amazing so gratifying
1: definitely being a witness to a witness to greatness and seeing people express their potential right as teachers we're always trying to push them is to to express their potential which is really it's an honor it's 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 something that when i got into it i never thought i would i don't i don't know what i don't know how how it was for you but I, i never thought i'd end up Teaching, like I just wanted to learn how not to get beat up on the street. So <laughs> it's, to, to just to end up in a position where you start seeing people's potential. It's I think that's really that we always talk about the mind, the body and the spirit and how that all kind of puts together and, and the cause you can. I think that's really an important right.
0: Well, I, I think like, you know, you've probably read a lot of um, a lot of advertisements for martial arts schools and they, they make a lot of promises about self-confidence and and uh, strength and this and that. And it really only happens if that's what the teacher teaches. It really, you know, the, the art, the techniques to me are, are like apparatus, are like gymnastic apparatus. So you can, you can strengthen yourself on this apparatus. You can make yourself quicker on this apparatus you can you can quiet your mind on this apparatus you can you you can do like amazing things by using this apparatus that we practice on all the time and well i think when i started to go back to your question a really long time ago i was looking more for a guru i was looking for somebody who who knew something mysterious that i wanted and 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 I, it didn't take very, very long in the martial arts to find out that that wasn't really what was in there. That isn't what people were teaching. The, the, the meditation master, yes, but, uh, you know, and so I think that, but the apparatus you can use for that, if that's what you you focus on and that's what you teach, it could be used for any of those things, really almost anything. And, and, uh, the fact that it's self-defense is sort of like a pleasant side effect to me. It was never my it was never my first reason. You know, sport was more the reason. Just movement itself was the reason. Um, I I I never really have had much occasion to call on it. You know, it's not that I've had none, but I haven't had a lot. And most of what carried me in those moments was my lack of fear. Right, so. So most people who attack women, um, the first thing they do is they, they test you to see if you're gonna be afraid. Because most, most people would rather have a cooperative victim than a, a victim who fights back. That's just, you know, true. And so when, the, when those tests come and you're aware of them and you don't show fear and you, and you call them on it, it very often doesn't go anywhere. So you have no need to use anything other than your lack of fear. Uh, but yeah, knowing knowing oneself—that is, to me, that's the art. Someplace, great grandmaster Gaylord's like Barbara, you gotta hit him. <laughs> but <laughs> but <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> he told us one. I, he came to the class one time. At hand to hand, one of my students has a school in in uh, Oakland called Hand to Hand and he came and he was teaching stuff. And the my student who was the head teacher of the school, he had us do like you know, uh, I can't remember somebody attack with a punch or a kick or a combination, and and you deal with the combination and then you follow up, and 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 she did the way I taught it was more from from uh, the the Costco side, which was just like relentless attack until they've succumbed. And so that's what she did. They were on the ground and he, she worked him over and then she stepped back and she stood in set position and she's looking at him and he, he kind of has a funny look on his face and he's like, Barbara, you do it, you show it. So the guy comes and he does the combination. I do a similar thing, you know, I deal with it and I, I take him down and I work him over on the ground and I step back and I look at him and he looks at the two of us, and he just starts laughing. He goes, you don't have to kill the guy. <laughs> <laughs> i i just i just remember i just remember us looking at each other like you don't <laughs> oh i don't know you know we're we're a funny we're a funny bunch we are
1: <laughs> yeah no, I don't, i've said this before on the podcast but yeah my instructor it's a very similar story we were doing knife self-defense uh and it was not coordinated two three two or three attackers were going to come in some with knives some not and they were really trying to get you. And I got the knife person down. The knife person came at me, I believe second or third. And I put took him down, took the knife out and stabbed him. And I felt that I did a great job. I took him out, stabbed that guy. I think I stabbed another person because I had the knife at that point. And then when we were done, my instructor looks at me and says, Congratulations, Angelo, you're a murderer. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I, was like, I thought like, oh, wow. <laughs> it came so naturally. I didn't, I didn't think about that. Well, I, I was in another class with Gaylord where he told us that um, if an assailant comes to your house and you, you know, beat them up or kill them, be sure you drag them back in the house if, it's, if, the, if the fight's rolled outside so so you have a defense, but um, it's all good, but it's all, it's all fantasy mostly. I
1: hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah we, we hope, we
0: hope.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so we're about to get to our wrap up here, but before we finish up, um, I, I usually typically ask the same question over and over again at the end, but I think today I want to ask you a different one considering your experience. Um, a lot of people will do martial arts and, um, yeah i'm gonna say a lot i'd say some but a lot a lot of people will do martial arts they have that weird statistic what that like what like only only five or ten percent will actually get the black belt and then only one or two percent will teach and i'd like to say even after teaching only maybe one percent of that will keep doing it for the rest of their lives so (laughs) with with you still training and still doing what you do what's some what's What's some words of wisdom for those who want to do this for the long haul? What, what's what's some advice you might give someone like me who's who's getting 40 and noticing that maybe maybe uh full contact I don't just keep
0: showing up honestly that's I'm mean, that's I, it's so simple right it's just keep showing up um and the lessons will come there'll be plateaus there'll be times of boredom there'll be times there'll be uh obstacles but just keep showing up uh, many of us earlier in our training had, had training partners, friends, uh, relatives who, who helped us show up. You're like, Hey, I don't want to get to class. And they're like, you always, you always feel happier after class. Why don't you come to class anyway? You know? And, uh, you know, I think, I, I think I remember Gaylord one time saying, yeah, I quit once. Yeah. I quit martial arts once. And we're like, you did. He goes, yeah. But like two days later, I was back at it. You know, and that hardly counts as quitting, but he felt like he quit, I guess. Um, yeah, just, it's like, just keep showing up. Just keep, just keep doing it. I mean, that, that's the only, only thing I can say. There's no substitute for that. Um, and it's, it's its own reward. You know, it's like, it, if you show up, you will be rewarded.
1: So there it is, folks, just show up, just do do it, just do it, just show up and do it. I'm not going to say just do it because I don't want Nike coming after me, but (laughs) 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 but you heard it here, just show up and get it done. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your stories with me and, and taking the time to, to talk to me and share with my listeners, your experiences really appreciate it. Lots yeah, of I had
0: a lot of fun, actually.
1: Lots of great stories here. I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to re-listen. I don't re listen very often because I don't like the sound of my own voice, but I'm going to definitely <laughs> listen, hear some of these stories because I loved them. Um, yeah. Thank you again. And for my listeners, stay tuned for the wrap up and that's a wrap. I really appreciate you listening to the whole thing this podcast grows organically that means that if you share this with your friends and they share it with their friends that's how i've gained all the subscriptions on my youtube channel if you're listening to this from itunes or from TuneIn radio last fm or any of the many radio stations that broadcast it please take a moment of your time google social jello with angelo and just hit subscribe on my youtube channel If you, for some reason, are still watching this and you didn't turn it off on YouTube, much appreciated. I know it's hard to watch a long format podcast on YouTube, so I really appreciate you doing that. Take the time, hit subscribe, much appreciated. If this is too much for you, totally I understand. Um, Listen to it from the internet through TuneIn Radio. That's how I listen to all my podcasts. Uh, You can still support the show by subscribing and then listen to it some other way. That's fine. Um, that still helps me out a lot. I'm trying to shoot for a thousand subscribers. Been trying to do that for a while now. I'm at 330, almost halfway. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks again. And until next time, folks, as I always say, train your mind, body, and spirit every day. Catch you all later.